this Monday evening time for the 487th episode of the Chair Shop Podcast. I just realised, lads, we're on the cusp of the big five double O. Um, yeah. A, a yet another milestone has rolled around. This podcast is getting depressingly old, along with the three of us. Speaking of the three of us, I'm here. I'm one of your hosts, Barry Murphy. Joined, as always, by my ever-dependable and older co-hosts. First of all, Mr. Paul Griffin. Well, I'm especially older, because I had a birthday in the week, so I'm really old. Old man Griffin is smashing the record button with his walking stick. (laughs) Um, Happy birthday, though. Um, Thank you very much. Congrats on making it another year. Uh, We're all impressed. I I know. And rounding out the team, Mr. Joe Towner over there. Hi there, Barry. How are we doing, gents? Paul, how were the birthday celebrations? Birthday celebrations were good. I've been off work for uh, a week, so I'm halfway through my holidays now, or a little over halfway through. Um, been good, been good. Um, went to the cinema for the first time. Oh, uh, first time in 2020, which was all right. Um, weren't many people there because my my little strategy of going really early on a Wednesday worked. I'd say there was probably six six other people in the in the screen okay. when the time the movie got going, and we were all fairly spaced out, so it was it was fine. And only once did at one point did somebody take the phone out uh, during the film, but it wasn't for a very long time, and the the behavior was more or less very good. Um, what else? Did a little bit of ye old shopping. Uh, got myself some books online, uh, some Zelda books to go along with my other Zelda book, uh, books, I should say. Um, I also got, for my birthday, uh, a, an Eric Cantona book, which I'm looking forward to getting my... Uh... Oh, is that the, the book where Eric Cantona tries to sort through the Zelda timeline? <laughs> <laughs> it's the one where his book kicks another book. Um, it's called... Let me grab it out of the... Out of the uh, shelves. Uh, King Eric, portrait of the artist who changed English football. Uh, I said to Miyamoto-san, I said, you, you cannot simply not acknowledge the previous games. It was, uh, the fan base would be confused. And he, he threw his hands up. <laughs> that's, my, that's my generic Frenchman, who in this case is Eric Cantona. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I have... Um, five Zelda books and I've added four more so I'm making a little little collection of Zelda books um I I did during the week reconfigure my old DVD shelves to make some extra space for my books and my games and all those now sorry I'm I'm not aware of what variety of book these are are they like art books yeah well I have I have four art books which are like coffee table size they're considerably big um sorry i have i have four of those and i have a an expanded guide collector's edition hard hardcover for breath of the wild as well okay and i bought a i think i mentioned last week i bought the hand-drawn guide for the first legend of zelda okay um i bought um, two books from fangamer.com. 
One which is about the localization process for the first Legend of Zelda game, and one which is just kind of a an encyclopedia kind of book with like drawings and stuff in it. And then I got the collector's edition expanded guide for Twilight Princess because that's my favorite Zelda game. Yeah. So loads of books coming in. One of them's getting delivered tomorrow. I don't know which one's going to be. It's going to be quite a surprise. Um, and I'm reading currently. Get it over here. Uh, Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild, creating a champion, uh, which is, as Barry said, is kind of an art art book, and it's 424 pages long. So that is a. I mean, that's probably high on the list of games you'd want an art book of. To be fair. Oh, it's great! I love it. I love, love, love. It. I want to. I, I still want to get the. Um, I haven't got the Last of Us Two art book. I got the first one, but you know, the thing yeah. about these art books is that the non-gamers might not appreciate it. Is that they're not. They're fucking expensive for what they are. Like, I mean, they're all. They're very like lovingly curated and beautiful art and hardbound, durable coffee table books. But they make you pay as a result. Like they're they're well, I, uh, they're no cheap. Since I got the first one, I just keep I check pretty much daily ebay and amazon and those kind of sites so that one i got for 25 euro which wasn't too bad um that's pretty good yeah yeah so making my way through those um do you have you uh, do you or have you ever had the um hyrule historia which is the, the book that supposedly makes an effort at putting the, the timeline in order i do have it yeah is it any good um, I'm not someone who puts a huge amount of stock into the timeline, but I, I, mean, I, I like neither. it as a as a fan of the series. I like it more of a compendium of all the different stories. But yeah, sure. it's the the entire book could be condensed to like every generation. There's a hero who gets a sword and the princess who can save the world from the big bad guy. Hmm. That's what every game's storyline is. So. I, I'm not so fussed about. Does Oracle of Ages come before or after Majora's Mask? Yeah, I've I've never really understood that fascination with. It. I, admittedly, I've never really been a Zelda guy, but I'm just kind of like it's like it's it's yeah, it's get the get the good weapon and go beat the demon to get the girl. I mean, it's not. It's like arguing yeah, about about where what where the Mario's are in in relation to each other, especially because in the, I don't have there's like twenty games in the series or so, but. Only a handful of them are actually sequels to other ones or are in any way directly related to the other ones. Each game takes place like 10,000 years apart. So what's the point of even doing a... I don't know. It's just a nice book to have. I have that. I have art and artifacts. I have Encyclopedia and I have Creating a Champion Breath of the Wild. Lovely. I've also been to the gym in case people think I'm a huge nerd. I've been clanging and banging like Dwayne. Um, first time back to the gym in a long time. Uh, we have to now book our appointments in because there's only a certain number of people allowed in. Um, I my my arms are very sore. I I'm I'm kind of like Kurt Angle T Rex arms right now, where I can't lift them above my head very much. But um, I've been three times this week, and uh, it's nice to finally get back and. Because I've been, I, although I haven't put a huge amount of weight back on, I've been slowly creeping up as my inactivity just kind of continues. Um, what else? Well, I, I was walking today. Uh, I did a 20 kilometer walk today. 
which was fun. I listened to um, uh, New Day podcasts, and I listened to a bit of the uh, the Zack Ryder Figure Wrestling Federation podcast. Yes, which is the best. Um, <laughs> so that was nice. My legs aren't feeling it today, but I'm sure tomorrow I'll wake up and I'll just not be able to get out of the bed. Yep. Um, oh, and the best thing about the week, right? Not only was it my birthday, but the football was back. And, um, oh man, home! It's coming! Oh, the footies <laughs> back on the telly. Oh, sorry, I, dad, I, nearly, I nearly did the David Mitchell bit there. I'm not trying to be that much of a square. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, someone said to me in the week, Paul. You know, you should watch Peep Show. I think you'd really enjoy it. I'm like David Mitchell, <laughs> nerd. I ain't watching that. Even though I believe it's actually quite good. Um, no, but my dad uh, mentioned to me that there was a little Paddy Power free bet ski on the go, right? Oh. Five euro free bet. You don't need to put any money in. You just, I've had an account for a long time. I, I very rarely use it. But he said, there's a five euro bet on. If you want to have a look. He put, he put his five euro bet on Liverpool and Leeds to be a draw, which he came very close to. Uh, I think he had that like five to one. So he, he would he he would have won twenty euro if that happened, but unfortunately it didn't. I put a sneaky five euro on Mohamed Salah to score a hat trick in the first game uh, at fourteen to one, which he had only done twice before in the Premier League, and of course he scored a little hat trick, and I won seventy free euro off Paddy Ooh. Power. So take that, Patrick. Yeah, fuck off, Paddy Power. That teach you. Yeah. Yeah. So that went a little bit into kind of reimbursing myself for those dumb Zelda books I keep <laughs> buying. Um, so that was a nice little birthday week, birthday magic uh, happening. I imagine, I imagine you in the betting shop. I, I know it wasn't, but in my head, it's still smoke filled um, <laughs> with, with loads of like owl lads scrambling around on the floor for pennies or potential winning stubs, and you're just there in the middle going. <laughs> Off to CEX I go. I've got to get my 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 the art of drawing Princess Zelda book. Um, yeah, I mean, this is the thing with the free bet, right? If 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 it's a free bet, there's no point being like, I think Liverpool will win and winning a euro fifty. Yeah, you're not putting any money into it, so go for a a, a bet that you'll win some money if it comes in. Um, and of course, he scored twice in like the first. 20 minutes so i'm like oh here we go and then nothing until like the 86th minute and then he gets dodgy penno and i was like Woo-hoo, here we go <laughs> oh, it was brilliant um I, that leads um liverpool match was great anyway that was a nice mm-hmm. little uh surprise i've watched um i've watched uh five of the six games over the weekend i didn't watch the um Palace one, but I watched all the other games and I watched the the game today and I'm watching Chelsea now against Brighton. I'm also perched at the top of our little fantasy football league. Um because not only did I put the money on Salah, he was also my little fancy captain. Um so I got 40 points for him. So I'm doing very well. It's been a great birthday week. Everything is coming up Bill House. <laughs> what about yourselves? You been up to much, Joe? No, not a lot this week. Um, we popped out yesterday, went to a local park where they were having a, um, a farmer's market. I didn't see any farmers there. Maybe people selling 
stuff. But um, yeah, it was very busy, I think, because it was a bit of a surprise, bit of nice weather over the weekend. Everyone was out, so it was very, very busy. But yeah, it was nice. Nice otherwise. Yeah. And that's, that's about it. Fair enough. Uh, I've had a busy couple of weeks. Uh, I was dog sitting for the last two weeks while my man was away. Um, and so I kept my, because it's kind of bulky and I have an extra monitor and stuff, I left my work from home stuff in the flat. So I had something of a commute, you know, I was getting up early in the morning, you know, look after the dog, go do uh, my actual home work, then leave work slash home to go be with the dog and all this other stuff. But unfortunately, um, uh, poor little Roscoe is uh, not in great health. So it was a lot of uh, getting up and cleaning piles of shit and puke. Um, uh, and then, yeah. and then last minute racing to work and then racing back and cleaning up the shit and puke that was there in the time I had left. Oh, um, no. yeah. So I was chatting to my, my dad, she's back now. And so I'm, I'm, that's why this one obviously recording this on a Monday. I was just like, so thoroughly exhausted after two weeks of that as would not have been in the forum to, to do this yesterday. Um, uh, but yeah, so, so unfortunately he's, uh, he's taken the trip to the big countryside ranch in the sky very soon. Um, because now he's, you know, he's, he's an old boy, 13 years, uh, and he's very, very sick. So yeah, I said, I had a chat with my man, which is back. I was like, listen, this dog, this is an extremely not well dog. It's time to, to do the. Uh, the 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 decent thing and she she agreed yeah so so yeah that's that's a bummer uh, unfortunately but uh, you know had a good innings and all that yeah. uh, so so rest so a, pre- a preemptive rest in peace to the big man um before uh, before the deed is done so yeah that's that was my massive downer of a life off this week. Uh, but on the flip side, I've played a couple of games, you know, so we've got we've got we've got stuff to talk about nonetheless. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Uh, what about before we get into the games though? What about Telegraph lads? Telegraph. Yeah, I've watched um, a few more episodes of that Tottenham Hotspur oh, Amazon yes. Prime documentary. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I watched episodes four, five, six, and seven. Ooh. Uh. Well, I watched the three episodes that came out last Monday. I watched in a row, basically. <laughs> um, today I was too busy walking around to uh, to watch them all, but I did watch the first of the the three new ones that are out. Um, yeah, I, 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 it's interesting watching it back because I remember Spurs' season being much more of a complete disaster. That kind of came together a little bit at the end but every time there's a match they seem to like win in the last minute and i'm like i don't remember any of this um but uh no i'm still um very much enjoying that i think it's a little bit a little bit less enjoyable as it goes on because mm. kind of the appeal of Mourinho being a a weird drunk uncle that kind of wears off a little bit as the episodes continue and it just becomes a little bit more of a straight documentary about a team who are kind of, you know, inconsistent and struggling a little bit. Um, I think the next episode, which would be eight, is the one as the virus puts a, a pause to everything. So 
I remember that being a particularly bad spell of form for them. So I'm, I'm interested to see that. And then I suppose the rest of the season will be kind of, or the rest of the, the series will be kind of the comeback post COVID. Cause I, I imagine there's not a lot of footage during COVID of the team all from home, etc. Um, but yeah, still enjoying it. If I, it's not even that it's fallen off, but just, you know, the first few episodes, I, I was so new to it, and, and I didn't really have any expectations of what it was going to be, so I, f- I found it a real nice surprise. Um, I, t- I just think that that surprise has kind of worn off for me a little bit, but it's still very good. Uh, how are you enjoying that, Joe? Um, yeah, good. I've only, I've only watched a couple more. I'm on just done episode five, um, which is the transfer window episode. Um, yeah. It's quite an interesting insight again into, like, how transfers happen and it seems to be all very like like no one really knows what's going on <laughs> the players don't know what's going on they're basically just ringing around going do you want to buy this player no it's like i don't know i think selling something on ebay seems to have more of an official kind of stamp to it than trying to sell a footballer it's all it's all very kind of amateur that was interesting and, and that's also the episode i think where marino marino utters the um unforgettable line don't be a nice guy be a cunt <laughs> and they of course bleep the the c word because that's that's obviously too far for amazon but, uh, yeah. yeah everything else is unbleeped f words unbleeped but the c word they cannot have but that's mad because i've been watching another amazon original this week called the boys and let me tell you they got cunts flying around left right and center because they 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 goes to Carlisle. Isn't that what the series is about? More or less, yeah. I mean, I, I think they went to Car- his direction. They went to Carl Urban, and they were like, "You're from Australia, aren't you?" And he's like, "I am." You can't. He's like, "Well, this will come natural to you, mate. Here's your script." Because <laughs> uh, he's cunting this and cunting that all over the place. So yeah, I wonder if it was maybe, maybe it was the documentary maker's discretion. You know, this is a classy production. Yeah, it's strange because normally maybe they feel like it would it would be a little bit not because well, there are f words and stuff in it, but maybe it's not that it's so extreme like something like the boys would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's true. Um, yeah, so other than that, good show. Might might watch another one after this. There's a good quote coming up, Joe, that I won't spoil <laughs> for you. Um, in episode seven, uh, it's one of his things where, like he said, when he says, "Don't be a nice guy, be a cunt." <laughs> It's about what not to do when you lose the lose the ball and you panic. Mm. So keep an eye out for that one. Okay. Very very funny. Okay. Um, I also like I promised got back on that Twin Peaks uh, bandwagon. Ah yes. Uh, watched the first couple of episodes of season two. I think I'm up to episode uh, thirteen overall now, which would be. I guess I watched the first four or five in season two. Um, still as good and as mystifying as ever. If I feel like the last few episodes have been a little less newsworthy than the show usually is, I will usually, uh, if I'm talking to my brother, I'll usually be like, oh, I watched an episode last night. What happened? Oh, this happened, this happened, this happened, and this mystery's been set up in this. There's less of that for me to report on. So it, it kind of feels like it's building to something big to happen soon so the last two episodes like we watched two episodes last night not a huge amount of like things happening per se but y- you can definitely feel the the cogs start to turn on certain storylines like they're setting up for something big to happen so i'm very excited about that 
and that show is great. I can't say enough good things about it. It's it's really really unique and uh, it certainly doesn't feel like anything else I've ever watched. Okay. That's all I watched. Um, I watched other than the boys, which I'm all caught up on. Uh, they're doing that weekly TV gimmick, which I'm, I like. I like that we're getting back to some some kind of uh, some big series doing the thing where they release an episode weekly. It's nice to have that to look forward to. Um, so caught up on that. It's, it's still very very good. Um, I don't think it's quite as good as series one uh, so far or season one so far, but uh, you know it's still early. Um, so yeah, thumbs up on that. And the other thing I kind of started that I haven't discussed before on this show was I'll be gone in the dark which is the HBO documentary about uh, sort of kind of about the Golden State Killer, but more so kind of about uh, Michelle McNamara, the um, uh, the true crime writer who sort of reignited interest in the case um, uh, with her initially a true crime blog that then spun off into being very, very popular and got her a, a sizable uh, magazine article about the case, which she then t- which she then elaborated elaborated on further into a book. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm about halfway through on that, and it's really really uh, uh, fascinating. It's really great. Uh, she is obviously the late wife of Patton Oswalt, um, who is in the show quite a lot, and he's I mean he's always very likable and, and, and interesting. Um, so it's kind of it's it's a very weird kind of. Um, structure to it because it says it's adapted from the book but it's sort of about the making of the book it's a very it's very unusual so basically it's kind of going in two timelines it kind of it's talking about uh, michelle McNair obviously passed away a couple of years ago so it's simultaneously like interview footage of her from a couple of years ago and footage of Patton oswalt and her other friends today talking about her and talking about her process as a mother and as a wife and as a friend and then as a true crime writer and then it is also chronologically going through the career of the golden state killer as it began in the 70s um so you're kind of flicking back and forth um sort of a crude analogy but it's sort of kind of like you know how the last dance flicks between the, the the last season in question and the origins of each of the individual players being profiled um, it's kind of like that. Um, it's good. It's 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 pretty interesting. Uh, the case itself is obviously really fascinating and, and kind of grotesque. Uh, you know, the Golden State Killer was was kind of thought to be two separate individuals terrorizing two separate areas of California, and then it turned out to be one person with you know dozens of murders and you know fifty plus rapes in in, in California. You know, really horrific. Um, and it's it's great if you like your true crime documentaries. It's it it. Uh, it's a good one of them. Uh, so that's on your HBO uh, and on your Now TV in this part of the world, Sky Atlantic. Um, yeah, that's all I've watched new this week. Uh, shall we jump in to the game Guff? Joe, did you make the, the jump? Ooh, the game Guff. Tony joins the game Guff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so after after last week's show where we debated whether Michelle and I should buy a Nintendo Switch, we went and got one the next day, um, such is the influence of, you know, Messrs. Ball and Barry, just, mm. you know, boom, they say, they say do it, we do it. Um, so we got on the next day, we picked up um, Super Mario Kart 8, 
and Super Mario Odyssey. Um, started playing, started playing it in Mario Kart. Believe it or not, it's the first ever Mario Kart game that I've, that I've owned, um, despite having all the consoles up until the Wii. Um, so it's a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, I'm not a big fan, big fan of like racing games generally, but obviously Mario, you know, Mario Kart's quite fun. So we had a lot of fun playing that. And then on Friday, I cracked open the old Super Mario Odyssey. Mm. And of course, you know, I've a long, long history with the Mario games going back to about 1989, 90, when I got my NES and played the first, you know, Super Mario Brothers game. Um, I've played them all up until Super Mario Galaxy because I didn't have a Wii, but I'm come back to that later so might have pre-ordered a little something there <laughs> um yeah so i started playing odyssey and um as i said i'm a bit of an i'm a bit of a traditionalist when it comes to the platform games you know i like a nice simple 2d game you run along you jump on things etc etc so when i start playing it i'm a little bit like oh i don't know what i'm doing oh there's a hat or something and oh i had it's all 3d and bleh. after about 20 minutes i'm loving it um after another 20 minutes i'm quantum leaping into a sleeping <laughs> t-rex who then tears the rock face off a wall and reveals a, a 2d um mario level and i'm like what the greatest game i've ever played this is amazing <laughs> um yeah so i think it's i think it's fantastic it's so much fun i've I'm, i've been playing since friday i've put in a lot of hours probably a good 20 hours already um, it's such a huge game. I'm only like, I've, I've got through probably six kingdoms, uh, and now I'm going back and collecting some of the uh, the power moons from the earlier kingdoms. But I've got, oh god, I've only collected like two hundred moons. I think there's eight hundred, nine hundred in the game. Or something. Yeah, something bonkers like that in there. But yeah, it's just unbelievable how big the game is, and the just the like creativity that goes into everything you know, within the game from like little characters that only appear for like a short time to the different levels of the design, the music. It's just like such a work piece of work, like the amount of effort they put into these games, mm. you know, and I'm obviously not a big gamer, but um, you hear things like the, about the WWE game or like Madden where they just put out a new game every year and it's basically the same fucking game, but they changed mm. the title or whatever. Compare that to the other end of the scale. You've got something like Super Mario Odyssey, where it's just like clearly made by people who just want to create the best, absolute fucking best game they can. And I think they have because it's it's just so much fun. And I'm only a small part of the way through it. So big thumbs up from me so far on on Super Mario. Um, yeah, I think the platforming elements are great, but then there's enough of the kind of you know, mystery and, and finding little items and talking to people to, to kind of satisfy people that want a bit more than just jumping over things and running under things. So, yeah, big, big, big thumbs up on, on Super Mario Odyssey. Um, and I've also pre-ordered the old um, triple header um, 64. Ah, yes. And Sunshine game, which is out in a few days, I think it is. About four or five days. Yeah. Um, yeah, so looking forward to that as well. Um, other than Odyssey, I also played a bit of Tetris 99, um, which I enjoyed immensely. Also, a bit of an old school Tetris fan. So playing mm. that was a lot of fun, quite stressful. Um, I did pretty well. Though. I only played it for a few hours. My best finish was seventh, which is I thought was pretty good with about an hour or two's play. I'm good at the core Tetris game, but... Um, 
the other element is this kind of battle element. We have to send your lines to other people and, and figure out who's close to losing and do that. I'm not very good at that, but you know, I think I'll get better at the more practice. So and that was free. So, I mean, that's, that's cool. yeah, yeah. The, the Nintendo online subscription gimmick is considering it is only 20 quid a year. Um, it's great value. Plus, Joe, I think I think you'll you know get some some time out of the uh, the SNES and the NES emulator things they have. Um, I, I was actually thinking there earlier as Paul was chatting about his his Zelda books. I was like, I have not played the classic Zeldas, I, and there I have them. They're on the Switch. You know, I I should really do that. But um, yeah, Tetris ninety nine is great. I should dust that off. I haven't played that in ages. Yeah, that is a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's otherwise a, a very good investment, I believe. On, uh, on our part. Yeah, I'm really, uh, really happy to hear that you're enjoying Odyssey. Ah, oh, I love that game. Yeah, it's love, cracking. Love, love it. Um, I'm. Uh, it's on the. It's on the agenda. I want to. Uh, the, the girlfriend wants to play more games. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's a thing we can do together. And I, I must add her a profile on the uh, the Switch. And I was thinking Odyssey would be a great jumping in point. Um, I think it's the right mix of like accessible and spectacular. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. So great stuff, and and we'll obviously, I suppose, we'll. we'll I'm actually away next week. Like you'll have you'll have to do a, a townie in the griff uh, next week. So I'm 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 traveling, but uh, we we we'll all have takes on the uh, Mario collection um, uh, when it hits. Are you getting that, Paul? I assume you're getting that. Um, my initial reaction was yeah, for sure, and then like I realized I I own those three games already. And I still have the systems yeah. to play them on, so I don't know if it's like, like like we discussed last week. It depends on how improved the games are actually are, and it seems like they're not really. They're not going to be. Yeah, that's that. Well. That is like I'm still going to get it just because. So I don't have those systems, and to be fair, I never played Galaxy, and I have to fix that. I think it's kind of it's crazy that I haven't. Um, but I I'm I'm pretty disappointed given, um, like. When you look at something like Tony Hawk One and Two, and, and you know when you realize it's like, hey, if you take a classic game and you put some money into making it a game, like Tony Hawk One and Two is a great twenty twenty game. It's not just a great nostalgia thing. It's like if you put that effort into this package, do you know what I mean? Like it would be truly remarkable. Now, like again, they're three classic games, so I'm sure they're not going to be you know shit. But uh, I. I am a bit disappointed and I'm kind of, I, I don't want to say I'm not going to get it, but I, I, I'm curious to see what the initial uh, uh, reactions are. Yeah. Like I put a picture on my Twitter with the games and like, it was that really at that moment where I'm like, I have these games. <laughs> I just have them already. There's no point to me buying them again for yeah. 60 euro. Now, admittedly, Mo Salah did win me that 70 euro. <laughs> But I don't know. Um, I would, especially since I'm saving for a house, I, I would nearly want to put that money into like, if I was buying a game, a completely new game rather mm. than like literally game that I own already. It's hard to justify. That's what I'm saying. Speaking of games you own already, what have you been playing this week? Uh, well, speaking of Mario, still making my way through the Wii. Uh, Super Paper Mario. Um, I'm about three quarters of the way through it. It's all right. Some of the worlds I really don't care for in it. Um, and the change from RPG to like 
puzzle platformer i i don't really enjoy um so you know it's it's quite a short game which is the which is good because like, like i mentioned the other week paper mario on the gamecube was about as long as last was two excuse me this one is about as long as last was one so i'm gonna be done with it pretty quickly um some of the levels are really fun and are really inventive and some of them are very laborious and just kind of a slog to get through so yeah i know some people it's some people's favorite paper mario game i don't understand that whatsoever um okay maybe people don't like the turn-based rpg yeah yeah, you're gonna prefer you're gonna you're gonna prefer this but like paper mario in its rpg you know style is a super accessible turn-based rpg so i don't know even i'm not a huge turn-based rpg fan to be honest but i really i really like it so yeah um and i started ghost of tsushima on my Ah, birthday yes um played the first hour and a half of it um really really enjoyed it um i kind of have focused more on getting paper mario done than playing a lot of ghost of tsushima because i just i i don't really like having two console games on the go at the same time and i know that i'm quite close to the end of paper mario so i haven't played much more of tsushima past that but what i've played so far i played through the entire prologue and i played probably about half an hour after that and i i i haven't played a you know not counting breath of the wild which i'd previously beaten i've not played a, a big open world game since assassin's creed odyssey which is two years ago at this stage so it's nice to have a, a game that i can kind of dip into and f- go to the question marks and find out what they are and climb the shrine and um it's it's an itch that i didn't realize i had and it's being scratched so thumbs up on that so far even though you know i'm still very very early into it yeah and that's what um, i yeah, haven't played any haven't played any sushi in, in a bit i gotta get back to it um, this week I've been playing two games. Um, I I, I kind of want to get through some of the stuff I've missed so far this year. Uh, I've downloaded uh, Don't, uh, Don't Nod's new thing, Tell Me Why, but I haven't started it yet. Um, I'm curious about that because I like Life is Strange. Um, but another thing I got on the old Game Pass was Neon Abyss, which is a roguelike shooter, um, uh, side-scrolling. And it is... It is the definitive one of those games. It's it's uh, procedurally generated. Le- uh, level layouts are different every time. There's a million different upgrades you can get for your character, but obviously you start fresh on every run. And it's just it's just that genre of game distilled down into a very fun side scrolling shooter. I, I have found it quite addicting because um, I do like a good roguelike, like you know your. Um, Dead Cells or your Binding of Isaac. It's very Binding of Isaac. Uh, really, really, really enjoying that. It honestly does not have... It feels like someone played Binding of Isaac and was like, I would rather play this as a side-scroller, and then they made it. It doesn't really have a unique selling point itself. It's just a very well-made one of those. So if that's your genre, absolutely get on that on um, Game Pass. Uh, beyond that, I've been playing a little indie game on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, called Coffee Talk, um, which you you might call it an adventure game. It's probably better described as more of a visual novel. 
because it's all kind of conversation based, but you're not even picking your dialogue options. So it's very much just a here's the story and here's the, the, the vibe of the game, just kind of enjoy it. So basically you play a barista in a um, in modern day 2020 Seattle, but the twist is that the universe of the game, it's kind of similar to uh, The Wolf Among Us or The Fables comic book. Yeah, I think book, you which talked about this last week. You introduced oh, Did I talk about this last week? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I, was, yeah, I, was, yeah. I wasn't sure if I missed it. Okay, so yeah, I'm still playing that. Um, yeah, and I, I think I think visual novel was the, t- the term I was struggling to find last week about it. Because, yeah, it's 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 not... Um, I, now that I've put a couple more, I'm a, a couple more like days into the story. You, you're not picking any any facet of it but i'm i'm enjoying it it's very much a, a here's the vibe of the game enjoy the vibe um yeah so i'm liking that yeah, it reminds me of um a couple of games at least you describing it remind there's a game um i'm not sure it's on switch but it's on ps4 it's called like 2049 san francisco or something i think i know the one you're talking about yeah um I think Xavier Woods was involved in the making of that game. I don't know if he does like a voice in it or something, but um and then there's a game on Switch that I really enjoyed called Subsurface Circular. Mm. Which is that kind of thing with um you're like a robot you're like a robot detective on a on a like a metro or like a London Underground and you're uh talking to people to, to work out what's happened. Um fun little game. Uh, yeah, so I haven't really played anything uh, new this week. Um, yeah, I want to try and start. I want to like finish stuff off that I've started before I get into anything new. Um, I did have um, I the the heathens at Ryanair gave me my money back that they've had since March. Um, <laughs> uh, I finally won that battle, so I did use that to grab the new Paper Mario. Um, which has not been delivered yet. I got the physical edition, so I'm looking forward to jumping into that. So maybe me and Paul might even be playing that okay. at the same time. But uh, but yeah, no no new games beyond those two this week. Okay. Uh, shall we jump in to Le Movie Goff? <laughs> yes. Uh, who wants to go who first? Wants to go first. Okay. Um, I watched the second and third Bill and Ted movies. Okay. Um, I watched Excellent Adventure last week. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. I watched Bogus Journey this week. Really enjoyed it. Yes. Um, it's funny because I... I think... <laughs> this is how, how sure I am in my own opinions. I think I enjoyed the first one more. But when I think of like, well, what did I actually enjoy... I actually enjoyed bits of the second one more, so I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. I remember my, my initial reaction after watching the first one was uh, 8 out of 10, and my initial reaction of watching the second one was 7 out of 10. But then, like, I think Death was, like, the funniest character in either movie. Yeah. Um, I think they're pretty comparable. Like, I had in my head before, I don't know where I heard, that the general consensus was, like, first one good, second one bad. Absolutely not the case. They're both really good. Yeah. Very different. Um, very different movie. They're very different. That's like the best thing about it is yeah. the first one is a, a time traveling movie. The second one is not a time traveling movie. It's uh, you know Bill and Ted die pretty early on, and and it's about their travel through the afterlife, mm-hmm. and it's uh, really funny and really well done. 
Um, yeah, I think in a sense, the more I think about it, the more I, I maybe prefer Bugs Jr. I think Death is such a funny character, so well played by, uh, I think it's William Sadler, I think is the actor's name. Really, really funny. Um, uh, and then I watched the third one, and I, I definitely think it's the weakest one. It has a, a lot more definitive holes in it in terms of like the quality of the movie, but it's also good. So if people are, are a fan of the first two and are a bit apprehensive about the third one, I thought it was pretty good. Um, it's a little bit too much of a rehash of the first two. It's a little bit more than that than I would care for. They do time travel again. They do the afterlife again. So, you know, there's bits for where I I had hoped that it would be more of a third thing than it is, mm. which is a shame. Um, but uh, it, it has the same charm as the first two movies. It's maybe not as funny as um, Bogus Journey, but it has uh, it has some tricks up its sleeve and some surprises up its sleeve that, that do work. Um, some of the negatives, though, are it has that Star Wars prequel thing of big CGI environments where the actors are just on like a, a green screen stage. Uh, so you have these big, empty environments that are really, really ugly. Um, also, you know, in, in keeping with the first two movies, the script doesn't really make any sense. And that's particularly bad in this one whereas whereas in the first two it's it's forgivable because i think i said last week like why would they give their their uh presentation in an auditorium and why would this be their their you know paper like there's stuff in the third one that's a lot more like why is this happening and it's a bit it's a bit less forgivable um it is funny though like i said keanu reeves though isn't as good at falling back into the old characters Alex uh, Winter is. Oh. He definitely feels like Keanu Reeves trying to roll back the years and play that character he once played, whereas yeah. Alex Winter you, you might as well have just climbed out of a cryogenic <laughs> chamber. You know, he's more or less perfectly encapsulated the old character. Uh, Keanu Reeves comes off a little more forced, which is a bit of a shame, but... um. It was all right. It was definitely uh, on this on the right side of good. If if it was a bit more flawed than the first two and a little bit less ambitious, um, I rewatched the Prestige. I won't drone on about it, but goddamn, what a perfect movie that is! Um, is that his best? Is that uh, Nolan's best? I think it might be. Very possibly his best, and I'll tell you why. Uh, there are characters in it, shock horror, oh! who are actual characters who don't just shite on endlessly about what the plot of the film is. Um, and in fact, the plot of the film is the characters. What? what? And it's definitely a film that rewatching. I think this is like my probably my fifth time rewatching it. You you have such an appreciation for like Nolan setting stuff up in plain sight. Uh, that you know pays off in such clever ways there's so many little interlinking moments like that that would on first viewing just go over your head but then you're watching it again you're like joining the dots like oh this refers to this and this pays this off and this leads to this etc etc um i absolutely loved it i thought it was 
Perfect. Pretty much perfect. According to Rotten Tomatoes, it's actually his third worst. Um, after what, what? What's below it? Tenant and Interstellar. Well, I can't disagree with that. But I, I having recently watched um, Inception, and still really enjoying Inception, but like really come to terms with the fact that Inception's script is bollocks, uh, and that the dialogue is pretty horrible across the board. It was so refreshing to watch a movie where the humans spoke like humans, and the characters had like each unique motivations and like I believed what they were saying and I believed what was happening whereas Interstellar I'm like I love the spectacle of this but like yeah what is Tom Hardy's character <laughs> you know um so that was really really great I, I thought David Bowie was such an, a, a refreshing little performance from him as well with his wacky his wacky little accent um I'll talk in a minute about another Christopher Nolan movie which featured a, a wacky Russian accent in a, <laughs> a less positive way. But um, I think The Prestige is probably my favorite of all the Nolan movies. I think it's I think it's the cleverest, and I think it has probably my favorite script in them all. So big thumbs up for The Prestige. Uh, I then watched Tenet in the cinema. That, as I mentioned, that was my one trip to the cinema. Yeah. Um, so we've all now seen Tenet. Um... I I enjoyed Tenet overall, I would say. Um, I pretty unanimously didn't like the first like hour and a half of it. Or hour, let's say the first hour. I I was surprised by how much I didn't like the first hour. I remember thinking to myself in the cinema, I am just not enjoying this at all. It it kind of takes forever to set up where it's going. Now ultimately it kind of has to because of the framework of the movie, which I won't you know, go too much into, but yeah. I, I remember thinking this is just taking forever. Nothing's happening. Yeah. Um, the original explanation for like the bullet uh, in, in one of the first scenes is, I remember just this is like nonsense. I remember thinking to myself, like this is not a an intriguing concept like Inception, where no. like this is a you know, a bullet that goes backwards. I'm like, okay. And it, no... the, the, yeah, and then... the, the stuff they use as an escalation later in the film would kind of be a better opening pitch than the, the bullet. Hello? Um, well, the first scene with, um, yes, yeah, so the first scene with um, Clements Posey, who's like the scientist who explains to Jason, da- David, John, John, what is his name? John David Washington. John David Sorry, Washington, John David yeah. Washington. Denzel Jr. Um, one of my least favorite Nolan scenes, I think, ever. Like, she explains what's happening with the enthusiasm of, like, a, a plank of wood. Here's what's happening. Like, she c- couldn't give a shite. Yeah. And also, she does that thing where it's like, uh, don't worry about how it works. Um, just uh, don't try to understand it, feel it. I'm like, oh no, don't, don't say that. It's not the force. Yeah, that's the, that's the old Austin Powers um, number two thing. Don't try and understand it. Oh, hated it. So yeah, I really, really didn't enjoy the first half of the movie. Um, right up until it it does pay off. It's what it spent so much time setting up. And then at points after that, I thought it was pretty brilliant. Hmm. Um, and then 
right towards the end, the the last, let's call it the last action set piece, I thought was a bit flabby and a bit messy. Um, I think the biggest problem of it, as my prestige review will kind of highlight, uh, there are no characters in the film whatsoever. Michael Caine shows up for no reason uh, other than to tell John David Washington's character where to go and what to do. Um, you don't know who he is or why he's involved or why he's telling people anything. They're just like, uh, you're going to want to meet Sir Michael. Uh, Hello, Sir Michael. Uh, go here. Uh, and then that's it. Next scene. I think one of the one of the big issues is that the film doesn't give you enough time. Not that it's necessarily confusing, because I was, I was able to kind of more or less follow it, but it doesn't give you enough time to come to grips with what it's presenting to you before it's like, everyone got that right, move on. And that work, that's kind of a problem both in terms of the, the concept of the film, but also the kind of character stuff, the, the little character stuff it's asking you to get involved with, like the, um, the, the mother and the, the kid storyline. Like, I didn't care about the kid. The kid is never set up as a thing that we should really care about as an audience or why John David Washington's protagonist is like why he cares about it or why any of this is happening. And yeah. um, I thought it was, a, yeah. I, 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 overall, um, like I said, really enjoyable in parts. Like some of the action set pieces are, are really incredibly done. Um, it, it kind of ends a bit messy. It starts boring, I would say. Um, so yeah, brilliant at parts, but massively frustrating. Um, Rob, Robert Pattinson's very good in it. He was like the one good performance in it. <laughs> I, I pretty much didn't enjoy anyone else. Hated Kenneth Branagh in it. Um, uh, yeah, so Nolan, it, it was kind of Inception done worse, I would say, in terms of it being Christopher Nolan uh, whacking his dick out on the table and going, aren't I a clever boy? <laughs> Yeah, but at least there wasn't. It's a shame. At least there wasn't any CGI in it. That's what. That's what. That's what I take from it. Well, I, like the definitely where it succeeded was the the action. Yeah. Like especially the first, like I said, when it starts to pay off while it's setting up that like first twenty minutes is great. So so good. Um, and then when it turns a little bit into like. I don't know, District 9. Mm. <laughs> it, it kind of was a little... Um, or not even District 9, but like, you know, Zero Dark Thirty or something. But um, can we just let Christopher Nolan make a Bond film already? He obviously needs to get out. Wants to get this one, was... Yeah. Sci- this was sci-fi Bond, is what it was. Um, and Bond can be sci-fi. Like, this could have been a Bond film if the character was called James Bond. Yeah. Um, With that woman as Q. I- not except not interested. Yeah. Don't ask how it works, 007. Just use the backwards <laughs> thing to <laughs> kill someone or whatever. <laughs> what it is. Um, there was also one one action uh, scene. Like I, I, I said, I, I thought the action was done really, really well. But there was one scene that I, I didn't actually think was done very well was the um, when they go to Oslo to the. Well, what did they call it? The shipping oh, place. Hang on. Yeah. yeah. 
where you have the two guys fighting, right? It's it's a person fighting a person who's like moving backwards through time, right? Yeah. Conceptually, pretty pretty up there, right? Uh, how do they do that? Uh, literally, a shot of two people going forward, and then a cut, and then another shot, which was just like reversed, mm-hmm. and that to me wasn't seamless at all. I was like, oh, they they just like literally reverse the footage and half of these shots are just playing backwards. It didn't work seamlessly to me as a person moving forward fighting a person moving backwards. Mm. It was very, very like choppy to me and very messy. Anyway, I was I, I although I think I overall enjoyed it, I, I would say I was disappointed by it. Yeah, I'd say six out of ten. Yeah. And and I kind of think it's, it's definitely a film I want to rewatch because um, I'd be interested to see how my opinion on it changes, knowing where it's going. I think I'll have a I'd have a bit more patience for the first bit, knowing that it's like you know it is necessary in a sense. But I think I'm going to be even more frustrated by the things I didn't like in it. So we will see. That's all the movies I watched. Uh, what about you, Joe? What you watch this week? Uh, just, just one for me. Um, watched the latest Ken Loach film. Uh, it's called Sorry We Missed You. Um, also, Ken Loach is all about um, you know the kind of naturalism, social realism, kitchen sink type drama. Mm. This one is obviously no different. He hasn't gone and made a Marvel movie or anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this one is about a kind of zero-hour contract uh, delivery driver who gets a job working, well, not working for a company, but uh, quote-unquote, you know, running his own business, basically employed for a delivery company, kind of similar to the, you know, independent contractor versus employee debates that that rage in wrestling. Um, So it's kind of about his life. His wife is is also kind of on a zero-hour contract working as a, a care worker. And it kind of, you know, shows their life kind of unfolding as the you know, the kind of pressures and ex- just day-to-day exploitation of these jobs just kind of gradually take their toll on, on their life and on the kids and the family life and, and all the kind of little things that add up, like, you know, having to take a day off sick and suddenly you're losing, you know, £200 of money a day or, you know, your van gets nicked and that costs you more money. All these kind of small things that you know, that add up and clearly kind of very well-researched and, and based probably on, on real-life stories. But I enjoyed it a lot more than um, I, Daniel Blake, which was his um, previous movie, which was kind of along similar lines about the kind of benefit system. Um, but yeah, I thought it was very affecting and it's, it's the actors do a great job and it's, you, you completely kind of buy them as characters, even though it's very kind of naturalistic and, and at times that the dialogue kind of wanders around a bit. Um, but yeah, really, really interesting film. Um, mm. Sorry, sorry, we missed you. I'd recommend that. I think it was on Amazon or Netflix. I can't remember, but yeah, on one of those. Yeah, very, very interesting film. I mean, an indictment of uh, current current politics. I would say very the world we live in, the bloody world. Uh, I watched a film that, didn't, that was not an indictment of the world we live in, except for perhaps the movie making business. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I rewatched X Men Apocalypse in my ongoing uh, X Men series. Uh, I felt th- th- about this one 
more or less the same as when I saw it in theaters, maybe slightly below my initial impression of it, which is that I, I don't think this is a spectacularly bad film. Um, it is just a fairly tepid conclusion to what had been an excellent trilogy. Um, if you consider that reboot, uh, you know, the first two movies and, and this is a, as their own trilogy in the vein of the first three, uh, it's 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 not as much of a fuck up as uh, the Last Stand, um, and it's certainly not as bad as Dark Phoenix. But it's just it's a it's a very plodding kind of boring um, uh, uh, paint by numbers X Men movie. Uh, and I kind of noticed on this rewatch that like the shit X Men movies, most of them like start okay or they have a good idea or two. Like even X Men Origins, that they have. Uh, decent stuff in there, and then they just completely lose the run of themselves by the end of it. Um, and it's like the the Wolverine scene in Apocalypse. It's like so superfluous. It's not bad, you know. It's it's an okay scene, but it's like it's like three quarters of the way through the film, they're like, oh, we should probably have Striker in here somewhere, and of and, and by proxy, we have to have a scene with Hugh Jackman in it. Um, you know, it, it's just it was all a bit much. Um, and uh, to cut the people behind this film some slack, uh, I I think like Dark Phoenix, I just don't think Apocalypse is especially interesting, and I don't know that there could be a great Apocalypse film. To be to be quite honest, um, when you kind of look at the things that made First Class and Days of Future Past good, um, I don't know that you can do them when you have to have a villain who wants to blow up the planets and fucking just you know do stupid comic book shit. Um, so yeah. Uh, disappointing, uh, but not terrible. Um, and yeah, so we are we are coming to a close on the old X Men rewatch. Just uh, Deadpool two, Dark Phoenix, and I, I think we're going to go see New Mutants next week. Um, for some reason, <laughs> see Tenet by the way made like fifteen million. Like it, it was predictably a gigantic bomb. Well. I think in the US, yeah. I think it did it right worldwide. <clears throat> yeah. But, um, yeah, there's just not any cinemas open. Yeah, like, well, yeah, I, I don't know what he expected, but, you know. So that's the movie got for this week. So what's up next? I don't know. I don't have the rundown in front of me. What's well, uh, do you have a new quiz? Apparently, we have a. Uh, oh uh, yes, infernal bracket. Yes. No, we don't have a quiz. We have something even better. Oh. So you might recall um, earlier this year. I don't remember exactly when. Uh, we did a, a bracket tournament to figure out who is CSP's favorite wrestler. Yeah, current wrestler. Yeah, current wrestler. Excuse me. Well, yeah, 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 correct. Um, we're gonna do another bracket here on an even more important subject. So I have uh, scoured the internet for the thirty-two, okay, best episodes of the season. Oh, I knew it! I knew it! I knew it! <laughs> and we are going to pit them against each other in a battle to figure out what is the best one. Now, obviously, there are 
is a lot of well there are a lot of good episodes right um so i had to find a source to use as a baseline right so what i what, what i've done is i've used denofgeek.com's okay top 50 count yeah. so i've used the the top 32 from their list and i've seeded the top episodes so that their number 1 will face their number 32 okay. in the first round and the whole way down, right? I'll give a few honorable mentions. These are episodes which did not make the bracket, okay? Uh, 50, Burns Verkaufen, their craftwork. Yeah. Uh, a streetcar named Marge. Mm-hmm. Homer Palooza. Mm-hmm. Homer's Triple Bypass. Mm-hmm. Weekend at Burnsies from season 13, which I wouldn't have put what? in anyway. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? From season two, mm. uh, the Cartridge Family, which I think I've only seen once in my life. Yeah, uh, season 11's Behind the Laughter, uh, Rosebud, which uh, is an episode I like a lot. Flaming Moes, which is one of my favorites. Okay, now, now I'm actually—I was going to say a lot of what you've read. Yeah, fine, good, but I wouldn't miss them. Uh, those last two—I don't know—I'm pretty shocked those aren't on here. Yeah, uh, a fish called Selma from season seven. Uh, two bad neighbors. Uh, Lisa on Ice, Homer the Vigilante, uh, Mr. Plough from season four did not make the list. Twenty-two short films about Springfield, which I which I just watched the other day. That's not on the list. Uh, Krusty gets cancelled. That's a surprising one. Uh, and Mared to the Mob from season ten. So the top thirty-two are all within what we would refer to as the golden years okay. from seasons one to nine. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to do the first half of round one. Next week, we will put it on ice because Barry won't be here. And then we'll continue the following week with the second half of round one. Yeah. Uh, that'll bring us into our last 16 quarterfinal, semifinal, final, etc. Right. Uh, what I will say is there are two in round one. There are two. Behemoth battles. Uh, one of them specifically are, without spoiling too much, are maybe my personal two favorite episodes are paired oh. together in round one. Woof. Uh, so we'll, I'll go through them randomly so we're not just going like number one, number two yeah, in, yeah, sure. in, in their list, right? I'll try and mix it up a little bit. Um, so we'll go, uh, We'll start off with uh, the Bart versus Australia from season six. Okay. And Lisa's substitute from season two. Mm. Now, I'll be honest, I'm not big on either of these two. And I there's probably stuff that you mentioned from the from the honorable mentions that I probably would have preferred to have. Um, <sighs> what about you, Joe? What are you thinking about? Um, I don't know because Lisa's substitute is one of those early, you know, sad episodes. <laughs> There's not really any jokes in it, in it. Yeah, it's but it's obviously a great, great episode in terms of the story and emotion and everything. Whereas Bart versus Australia is kind of the exact opposite. It's just jokes, 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 jokes. Right. Um, it's kind of silly stuff as well, like the boots and uh, yeah, like that. Um, oh, my 
my heart says Lisa substitute, but my belly, as in belly laughs, says Bart versus Australia. I think I'm going to go. I'm going to go for Lisa substitute on the on the strength of the B story, which is Bart running for class president, which is quite funny. Yes, one for Martin, two for Martin is an underrated bit. Yeah, I'd amend a recount. One for Martin, two for Martin. Um, you know, I I, I probably would have gone Bart versus Australia, but um, I say I'm not massively into either of these, so I, I can go with the Lisa substitute. Okay. Um, for what it's worth, I would also go for Lisa substitute. Um, obviously the. As Joe mentioned, the B story is very funny, but I, I really like the uh, the payoff of the the teacher leaving the note for Lisa. Yeah. You are Lisa. Yeah, it's lovely. And Lisa and Homer have a few issues in the episode that they kind of sort out. So that's one that I really enjoy. So uh, anyway, Lisa's substitute qualifies. Mm. We then have. Uh, where we go next. And also, just on the topic of Lee Substitute, there's an episode that I watched recently which didn't even make the top 50, I don't think. Uh, Homer Defined, um, which had a similar uh, little message at the end of it, which I quite mm-hmm. liked, where where Marge stands up for Bart, where Lois won't let, uh, or Luan, I don't know who Lois is, Luan won't let Milhouse and uh, Bart be friends anymore. It's such a simple little resolution. Yeah. Just goes over and talks to her, and then they can be friends. Um, we'll then go to uh, a weird one how this worked out because the names are so similar. You have season eight's Bart After Dark versus season six's Bart of Darkness. Oh, weird. Uh, Bart After Dark, of course, is the. Uh, the what, what would you call it? The brothel episode? <laughs> uh, it's, not, it's not a brothel, is it? Uh, no, it's, it's a, not it's a, a burlesque. It's a burlesque. A burlesque house. Excuse me. Clancy. <laughs> Which, of course, features the great uh, uh, grandpa walking in gift. Yes. Yeah. Which we all know and love. Barrett of Darkness is the rear window parody episode. Mm. Oh, I... Mm, so, so I think as I was... After the initial launch of Disney Plus, when I was doing my first rewatch, and I, I, I think the the burlesque episode, I think that's the first one where I'm like, ah, I'm not, it's not by any measure a bad episode, but I'm not feeling this at all. Um, plus, I, just, I, I'm not as big into the music in The Simpsons as a lot of people seem to be, um, and the musical right. number at the end of that one just doesn't really do it for me. Um, I love Bart of Darkness. Um, There's a sinister looking kid coming to get me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Millpool as well. You got Millpool in there. Um, Martin and Oz Pets. Uh, yeah, I really like that episode. And of course, St. Swimmins Day. Yeah. I would concur. I, I think Bart of Darkness is, is a better episode. Um, yeah. I think it's like, it's it's properly scary at points as well, which is something the, the Simpsons doesn't mm. usually do, where Flanders is coming up with the axe and Lisa's up in the attic. Yeah, I like I like Bart After Dark. Lots of classic moments in him, but it is one of those later, well, not later, you know, later classic Simpsons ones where it, um, yeah, it's not quite as sharp in terms of the story and everything. So yeah, Bart of, Bart of Darkness is uh, fantastic though. Very good. Well, uh, so Bart of Darkness goes through. Interesting, right? In both pick so far we have chosen the lower ranked episode Mm -hmm. 
um, Bart vs. Australia was ranked number 8 and Bart of Dark was ranked number 12 whereas Lisa Substitute and Bart of Darkness were 25 oh, and 21 on. respectively. What? Wow. I know. Um, we'll go next to uh, Homer's Phobia since we just discussed it last mm. week from season 8 versus uh, El Viaje Misterioso de Nuestro Homer The Mysterious Voyage of Homer that one where Johnny Cash is a fox in it. Oh yeah, okay. These are the I like. These are both really good. Um, I think that the mysterious voyage of Homer. I think that episode is kind of boring, actually. It's yeah. It's kind of one where, again, kind of when you watch the show, when you binge the show, it's kind of like okay, not only is it maybe not as funny as as it was, but also it's kind of like, okay, we've done Marge and Homer. This is, this is the problem also with going 32 fucking seasons, is that, okay, at this stage in season, that's season eight, isn't it? The Yeah. It's like, okay, we've, we've kind of done every angle on the family despairing um, that can conceivably be done. So doing another one where Homer isn't sure if he's the one for Marge, I think that falls flat that late in the show's running, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas Homer's phobia, I think, s- strays at times into the, the later Simpsons formula, mm. um, especially in the, like, the second half of it, I think has some funny, funny moments. And I like John Waters as a guest star on it, so I'm going to go for Homer's phobia. Yeah, I yeah I, I would go with Homer's phobia myself. Yeah, I've never really liked the um, LVR's Mysterio so one. I um, definitely prefer uh, Homer's phobia. Okay, very good. Uh, next up, we have The Last Temptation of Homer from Season 5 versus the Itchy and Scratchy and Poochy show Ooh. from Season 8. Sorry, what was the first one? What's that? Last Temptation of Homer Last versus the Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie show. Mm. I think this is maybe for me the toughest one so far. Yeah. Um, because it, although Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie show is season eight, which for me is where it starts to wane, a lot of really clever stuff in there. Um, and ironically, was kind of a setup of the show's own decline, maybe somewhat unknowingly. Um, that being said, push comes to shove. I think the last temptation of Homer is probably the stronger episode. Um, for me, uh, what's you've never seen a naked chicken riding a clam before? Mm. Um, and also, ha! Ah, I mean, ha! Ah, low. I think there's some good stuff in there for me. Yeah, like the, I think the Poochie episode is probably more famous just for the Poochie analogy. Yeah. Rather than you know uh, uh, a banger of an episode, but uh, yeah, I, I'd probably go with Last Temptation of Homer. Um, okay. I think I would agree, even though that has the subplot with Bart becoming like a nerd, which is silly. Oh yes, that is good. Um, but yeah, I, mm, yeah, I'll go with that one. It's got the classic kind of Homer and Marge marriage trouble, but when it was still 
<laughs> not boring kind of story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go with that. Okie dokie. Um, we will go for a, a bit of a biggie here. Uh, we'll go Lisa the Vegetarian versus Homer's Enemy. Uh, I'm not big on Lisa the Vegetarian. I think the ending kind of puts me off. I don't like the ending of that episode. Yeah. I, I never really cared for Homer's enemy that much. Oh, oh shocking. What? Um, I prefer the, the you know, Bart buying the factory um, B-plot to the, the grime stuff. So I would go for Lisa the Vegetarian. I think it has a more, oh more cohesive kind of story. And it did mark the point at which Lisa became the kind of annoying sort of, you know, cliche. Yeah. But it's just a great episode, you know. It's just a little airborne. It's still good. It's still good. Yeah, I do like that, to be fair. Um, I'm going to shock a lot of people here. <laughs> Can I shock you? Uh, I am going to go for Lisa the Vegetarian as well. Oh, okay. I think there's some, some really funny stuff early on where like, they push the one lamb out of the way yeah, yeah. for the cuter one and um i can't eat a lamb it's not a lamb it's lamb uh <laughs> is that the one where bart and homer like eat, have each one side of the yes yeah, right over the chop yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I i i think i've seen that one recently and i quite enjoyed it um, homer's and you don't enemy friends with salad you don't be friends with Sarah, of course. Um, so I'll go for that as well. Uh, we have one here. I'm gonna have to get my little my gimmick out here. Um, because there's an episode here that I don't recall what it's actually about. Uh, we have Homer goes to college from season uh, five. Yes. Versus Simpson Tide from season nine. Oh, it's the oh. one where they joined the Naval oh, Reserve. Yeah. I vote for Homer Costa College. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's easy. That's easy. <laughs> that one's that's a fucking whitewash. Come on, yeah. Pride. That's easy. Yeah, I'm surprised that Naval one made the cut over over stuff that oh over 22 short films even. I know, Flaming Moe's. Yeah, Flamin', I couldn't believe Flamin' Moe's. I thought that one was beloved. Yeah. Um, we'll go for another toughie next. We have The Way We Was from Season 2, which I believe is the first of the Simpsons flashback episodes, yeah. which I always enjoy without, you know, twisting the votes yeah. here. Um, but versus Homer versus the 18th Amendment. Which is the uh, the, the uh, steel cable one, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, no, no. That's the beer. No, it's the beer. Where Homer becomes the. Oh, the sorry, beer, it's the, the beer, beer baron, baron one. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Uh, I do like the beer baron one. It's a bit silly, but it is good. But for me, I'm always a sucker for the, the flashback ones because um, they're always very kind of bit bit sappy. It's saccharine, but 
I always enjoy those. So I would I would go the way we was. Um. Yeah, 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 yeah. I really like the beer baron one. I think that's one of the last great ones. Um, but yeah, I, I'd probably agree. All right. I'll also go for the way we was. I don't actually really like the beer baron one. I think it definitely has a, a New Simpsons feel to it, even though it's not as bad as New Simpsons. The I don't know, just the look of it and the feel of it to me isn't like doesn't scream classic Simpsons. Although you'll be shocked to hear that that was the number two ranked episode on the entire list. What the Eighteenth Amendment? Wow! Just gave the gave the boot to. What a uh, weird so list it one, is. Two, three, four, five, six. That's seven that we've done, right? Because we're not doing one next week, I'm going to leave the listeners on the ultimate cliff, not cliffhanger, but the ultimate battle here. To me, the toughest pick on the entire list, right? Are you ready for this we're one? Ready. Are you sitting down <laughs> okay. for this one? A Star is Burns oh. from season six. Oh. What's the toughest episode we could put that up against? It's season five's Cape Fear. Oh, now I, I, I'll, I'll say outright. I'll put all my cards on the table. I think Cape Fear might be my favorite episode ever. So we've got we've got Barry's favorite episode ever versus my favorite episode ever. <laughs> And that's just randomly how it turned out. Um, I kind of feel like the sideshow Bob stuff could never follow Cape Fear after that, even though there was like four more episodes in the golden years. I feel like after Cape Fear, they all kind of felt like they were were struggling to hit it again. And there were some good ones, but like, you know. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, I think if I'm the... The deciding vote is a tough one because I do like Cape Fear, but for me, a star is Burns has the edge. It has it has the football, uh, it has the groin, it has the man getting hit. Yeah, the, the groin. It has the burn. I knew I was I was fighting against the tide. With that Ironically, one. here Joe is Homer in the cinema going. <laughs> Cape Fear has had heart, but a star is Burns had football in the court. Um, yeah. yeah, just packed full of packed full of jokes. That one. For what it's worth, Cape Fear, I think, equally good and equally packed full of jokes. I love yeah. the Mister Thompson bit. Yes, uh, I'm going to stamp on your foot and say hello, Mister Thompson, and you nod. I got you. <laughs> I, I love that whole thing. I love the the rakes. Yeah. Uh, and when they drive through the cactus patch for no reason, um, I think, yeah, pretty, pretty perfect. And the stars burns, as we know, reviled by Matt Groening as a, a cheap crossover episode with a, a, a cartoon that ultimately failed and that nobody remembers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what does Matt Groening know? But, yeah, I, I, I think I, I like. I feel like the only people who really, really care about that is like Matt Groening. Yeah, I, I absolutely adore Star It is, It is phenomenal. Endlessly. Um, do you want to guess what the two numbers were for each episode here before we put our final votes? I'm going to say Cape Fear 
Oh, but uh, this, this this list has been very weird. So, like, Cape Fear, I'll say, like, 11. And Asaras Burns, I'll say, 2. No, we already know what 2. Uh, Asaras Burns, 3. I reckon much lower. Like, 20 or something. Uh, you were very close, Barry, on uh, Cape Fear, number 10. Okay. Yeah, right. Uh, Stars Burns 23. Wow, 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 wow. Wawa 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 which is uh, lower than both Homer's Phobia and The Mysterious Voyage of Homer. But look, who's counting? Uh, so I I, I got to vote with my heart. I got to go with Stars Burns. I really do. Okay. Did you put in a, an official vote, Joe? I think Barry's going to go Cape Fear. Yeah, yeah Star, Stars Burns. Stars burns. Okay, sorry, Barry. Okay, don't. I didn't organize. Well, I did organize the list, but I didn't uh, arrange it in any random order or anything. That's just how the the chips fell. So, as I said, there is one more really big one coming up uh, next time we do this, and uh, there's a few more really big ones. In, uh, not necessarily re- as big as Cape Fear versus Stars Burns, but there, there are some other big ones. So we'll save that for now. We'll come back to that. Uh, the episodes which have qualified so far in no uh, specific order. The Way We Was, Homer Goes to College, Lisa the Vegetarian, Lisa Substitute, A Star is Burns, Bart of Darkness, The Last Temptation of Homer, and Homer's Phobia. So there we go. There you go. That was uh, that was fun. I'm very much looking forward to the next round of that. Um, uh, will we jump in to the emails here? Very little wrestling to chit chat about this week, so we can do some emails here. Uh, I have one. I know the lads have one. I'll jump into mine here. Uh, got an email from Scott the Boy McAvoy. Uh, he says, with you moving to a new place, I'm curious if and when you have to go back to the office building, will your commute be shorter or longer or just different? Uh, before I get to the rest of Scott's mail, it's actually going to be very, very similar. I live approximately two streets down from my previous apartment, so I'm extremely close to it. So about the same. About the same for me there, Scott. Uh, side note, have you done the math on what working from home will cost you save you? I did some quick math, and while my electric bill looks like it will go up about $10 a month, my grocery bill will go up another 15 a month. The savings on petrol alone for me will be about $100 a month. So I'm still coming way ahead on this so far. Uh, yeah, I I think I'm ahead. I, I think, because um, I, I, don't, I don't drive, but I spent, spent about 80 quid a month on a bus to and from work, and I'm up that. And I think my, my spending on electricity and food would be similar enough to yours i would say in terms of an increase sliding relatively okay increase considering i'm running extra computers and stuff all day at home um but uh pretty pretty manageable relative to the savings so yeah that's that's a positive and i I do not miss the commute at all um so you know if you want to stay positive on things that that is worth considering uh and scott has given me a 20 questions which we will do after the email segment Okay. Okay. Um, I've also got an email from Scott. He says, um, first domino or outsider. Good morning, Joe. With Neymar walking away from Nike to join Puma, I'm curious if this is the first of many major stars to walk away from Nike or if Puma is just a bigger brand over there. Here, Puma's behind Nike, Adidas, New Balance, even Skechers. Is Puma big in the football world? 
Um, they're not particularly big. They've always kind of been one of those those outsiders behind Nike and Adidas, uh, even Reebok when they were bigger. Um, I think it's just occasionally you get like a, um, yeah, one of these one of these companies makes a big move for one player and kind of puts all of their eggs in one basket and offers him you know bajillion dollars to sign. So I don't think this is the sign of Puma kind of taking over. It's probably just a, you know, that they've opted that going for one mega star is better than having. 20 kind of no-name players. Um, he also goes on to say, on, in the same sport, what player will have the highest transfer fee this coming silly season? Um, well, it's a very interesting transfer window uh, this year, Scott, because I think we're not going to see too many big, big fees because a lot of the big teams just do not have the money. You know, with COVID-19 affecting revenue, um, the likes of sort of Barca and Real are not going to be spending hundreds of millions, I don't think. Um, if United do decide they want to bring in a Jadon Sancho and spend like, you know, 100 million, that could happen. Uh, but otherwise, it could be Kai Havertz, who went to, to Chelsea for about, I think, 70, 75 million. I think that could end up being the biggest fee we see paid this summer. Um, Scott also finishes with a pick one action movie series. So we have the Bourne series. Mission Impossible mm. and Fast and Furious. Mm. Um, for me, that's a hands down the Bourne series. Um, never seen Fast and Furious, never seen any of them. And Mission Impossible, I've seen a few, but it's not really for me. So, um, yeah, those, uh, those first three Bourne, Bourne movies were fantastic. Obviously, the last two were shy. Yeah. How about, how about you guys? I'd probably go with you. I'm halfway through watching all the Fast movies. I haven't gotten to the ones with The Rock. Um, I have admiration from that for that franchise, but I don't really love it. Um, and yeah, I Mission Impossible, great, but uh, oh, those three born. That's 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 the good stuff, baby. Um, I've probably seen of the three of us the most of these films. Um, I've seen so, which means my my pick will be the correct one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen all the Fast Furious movies. I've seen the first. I've only seen the first three. Born. I didn't see the last two, but Joe has reliably informed me that they're no good. And I've watched Mission Impossible one, most of three, four, five, and six. Uh, Fast and Furious uh, five, six, and seven are are good. Eight is rubbish. Four is rubbish. Uh, and then one, two, and three are like a completely different series, almost, and they're like okay. Um, the the original Born trilogy are excellent, but I think the what Mission Impossible has become is my favorite of the, of the yeah. Um, those last three in particular, and you know Fallout. Needless to say, one of the best action movies of the last ever twenty years. Uh, I I would go Mission Impossible. Only because I think, although the Bourne films, as good as they are, and I I love those films and I I remember them very well, um, they I think were more of a time where you know shaky cam and you know close combat action weren't so common back then, but they that's a really common action style now. So I think if you were to revisit the Bourne movies. The action might not stand out as much as they they once did. Um, whereas Mission Possible, you don't see uh, two lads fighting helicopters every action movie that comes out. 
So I'll go. For, I'll go with that. Even though the Bourne are are, are class, and I I wouldn't uh, disagree with that. Cool. Uh, I also have an email, also from Scott. I need to open my emails. Give me a second. Uh, boo, 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 boo. Uh, good morning, Paul. Is Tom Cruise the best actor to never win an Oscar? From The Color of Money to Rain Man to Born on the Fourth of July to A Few Good Men and many more. He's done some outstanding drama movies but never seems to get the recognition he deserves. Can you think of someone who's better who doesn't have an Oscar? Um... <laughs> That's a good question. Um, Who's never won an Oscar? Well, that's a bigger list than who has won an Oscar. One name that comes to mind, although he's more of a supporting actor than a lead, is um, one of my personal favorites, Mr. John Goodman. I don't think he's ever won an Oscar. I think he's pretty good. Um, He's very young, of course, but... uh, I think Robert Pattinson probably has an Oscar in his future. Yeah. I think he's probably my favorite current <laughs> current actor. Sam Jackson's never won an Oscar. Really? Yeah. I think he's probably not going to win one at this at this stage. But also um also um I don't know, Sam Jackson is a bit more of a is he a bit, no pun intended, but is he, is he a bit more of like a pulpy actor? Like, I don't know, has Sam Jackson been in many like Oscar-y, you know, roles? I don't Tarantino know. stuff. True, yeah. 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 So you hit Woody Harrelson, he's never had an Oscar. Yeah. Uh, Scott also gives us a movie series pick one that I unfortunately can't really comment on because I've only seen one of the films, never mind the series that they're in. Uh, Friday the 13th, never seen any of them. Child's Play, never seen any of them. Nightmare on Elm Street, saw the first one, it was really good. Mm. Um, so I'll go Nightmare. <laughs> I'll go for the one that I've seen. What about you, Joe? Um, I would rule out Friday the 13th because even I, I watched the first one back and it, it was pretty terrible. Didn't help, I didn't hold up at all. I thought Ch- Child's Play is pretty funny. Um, not really scary. I'd probably go Nightmare on Elm Street because I think it did quite fun, quite a funny film, quite kind of cre- creepy at times as well. So I think that's probably held up the best out of those three. I haven't seen, I've only seen the first entry in, in each of the right. franchises. But yeah, I'd go Nightmare on Elm Street. There you go. Um, we have had to lose Barry there unfortunately so we're not going to be able to do that 20 questions Scott um, something came up he had to leave so sorry about that listeners but Joe and myself will nevertheless discuss the happenings on this week's AEW Dynamite uh, let me pull up the old results gimmick what did you think of Dynamite this week uh, I thought it was a lot better than the previous week um, which is one of the the weaker episodes they've done. Um, it wasn't it wasn't brilliant. It was kind of a post pay per view, and it, it felt like it was a bit of a bit of a hangover to it. Um, right. 
but yeah, overall, overall, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, there was a lot of stuff on it that I enjoyed. Um, there was an Eddie Kingston promo that seemed to go on for about twenty minutes, though. Yeah. As much as I like Eddie Kingston, delivery's great, isn't it? But it is. But I didn't get why that segment kept just kept going and kept going. You're my shake hands. You're my best friend. Yeah, I don't know what they're going with that, but especially given that the previous episode, or not the previous one, but one of the recent ones, faced criticism of mm. like segments running over and matches having to be cut for time. I don't know why this went so long. It was, it was even watching it was just strange because it never, it didn't like build anything. It just stayed at the same point for what felt like three minutes. I don't know. Very, very weird. Um, I really liked the Jericho MJF little face-off promo as the show opened, where they're um, they're being all buddy buddy yeah. with each other, and then. Something you rarely see in a wrestling show. It went to like a, a split screen yeah. of each man walking away. Like, idiot! Oh, I thought that was really great. Yeah, that's quite funny. Um, what do we have then? We had Jurassic Express defeating the Lucha Bros, which I get, you know, the storyline is that Eddie Kingston is is bringing these, these underachievers together to, you know, reach their potential. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think it's a little too steeped in reality. I think the Lucha Bros have been a little a little underutilized. Mm, agreed. Overall in AEW. Like I I don't even in terms of like that being the storyline and I get that. I don't want to see them lose losing to like the the dinosaur guy and his mate, you know. As much as I like Jurassic Express. Yeah, see I think these are two teams that both should be kind of going somewhere in the tag division. Um obviously they can't fit that many people and with Jericho and Swagger announcing their intention is getting a bit crowded in there so hmm. yeah can I say as well I hated the finish of this match mm, what was the finish do you do you not recall um, so first of all Penta and Phoenix hit their like package pile yeah. driver stomp sp- like spike pile driver finish their, their ultimate finish right on, on wee little Jungle Boy on, on a random dynamite. Uh, Jungle Boy kicks out, right? Hated that already. Yeah. Then, you know, Phoenix um, comes off the top. Or was it Dependent come off the top? I don't know. This, one of them comes off the top. Jungle Boy moves out of the way. And one of the Lucha Bros accidentally hits the other with a Canadian Destroyer. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then... They're all fl- flustered, and Jungle Boy gets the like roll-up win. Oh, I hated it! I hate hated it. Yeah. You know, you're not going to accidentally hit a Canadian destroyer on your <laughs> mate. I mean, come on. Well, you don't know. That's the modern well, equivalent of one heel like holding the baby face, and the other one going for a yeah. punch, and he moves. But oh. Canadian Canadian destroyers. This is when this reminds me of when. I was talking to someone about Kill Bill, where I said, you know, I, I just it was just too silly for me, and. Um, they were like, yeah, well, it's him making an exploitation movie. It's supposed to be like that. I'm like, well, I, I just don't like him making that kind of movie. <laughs> I like a serious Tarantino. You know what I mean? I, I, You might say, well, this is just a silly, wacky finish. Okay, well, I like serious finish sometimes. Mm. I don't want to see lad accidentally Canadian Destroyer is buddy. So I don't do that anymore. Um, what else happened? Matt Hardy came out for a, a heartfelt promo where 
he said he was all right. He took a scary fall, and his his, his wife and and Babby were in the audience. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, the more I was thinking about the whole Matt Hardy situation, the more I kind of don't understand why that risky spot happened in the first place. Where Matt Hardy and his like broken persona are such that you would think that he doesn't really have to take risks anymore and that he can be kind of more bells and whistles mm. through the character. Like the whole um, stadium stampede was him doing memorable spots with like the, the pool in the stadium and the, the ice yeah. containers without him having to fall off a huge scaffold, you know? Um, so I think he needs to, if he used to have any kind of longevity, lean a little bit more into the character stuff and not take so much physical risks, especially given his uh, his age and, to use his own terminology, the, the amount of entries he has on his bump card. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's no need for it. So, you know, work work smart, not hard. That's what they say, Matt. Um, good to see that he's doing well, though, because that was very scary at the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Um, Orange Cassidy, who I I think AEW have almost Roman Reigns into like from from my favorite babyface to someone that I don't really care to see at all anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, overdid it much, too, much. I think much, much too soon. Anyway. He's a little overexposed, and also he hasn't reverted so much back to the Orange Cassidy character. It just seems his character now is man who wrestles. Yeah, and. You know, to be frank, I don't know that Orange Cassidy as a as a typical wrestler, albeit one who's you know a little bit lazy and but a little bit cool. Once he starts just doing the the tilt a whirl head scissors and 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 the usual, he's a, he's not the best. Like I don't know, I'm not a huge fan of it. As much as a, f- a fan I had been of Cassidy, mm. we need to we need to not have any Cassidy for a little while, and then just go back to doing the the pocket stuff. <laughs> Agreed. Um, then we had the best man segment. Now, Kip Sabian is one of my least favorite mm. performers on, on AW. Um, and I did not understand why, because I never really talk, explained it, why Miro, the former Rusev from what WWE and that, why he's like they're the best man. They're mates, probably. They're mates, probably, but he he just came out and did a, a kind of run of the mill anti WWE promo that had nothing to do with Kip Sabian. Mm. It was very strange. Happy to see him because I, I I do like him. Yeah. Uh, but this was a, a weird introduction. It was a strange decision. I think that's for sure. Mm. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. Let it play out. Long term story time. Yeah. Let it play out. That's what they say. Okay, I'm willing to let it play out. I think um, I think he's he's a a good performer, but I didn't get why this was happening here. Um, I like the Tony Schiavone Hangman Page interview. That was quite good. Yeah. Um, Page seemed to think that he and Kenny were gonna were gonna get back on the horse and and we'll be fighting for the title before long, which is funny because that was kind of like the the antithesis of what. They were like as a team. It always seemed like Adam Page was like the one that was cold towards yes. 
them teaming. And then later we had the the Omega interview with uh, with Jim Ross's Big Belly, <laughs> and he uh, he seems to not care about that team anymore. So that was a nice little juxtaposition. I quite liked what they did there. Mm. Um, Jericho and Jake Hager are gunning for the tag team titles, uh, and they started right at the bottom of the ladder, defeating Joey Janela and Sonny Kiss. <laughs> Um, I was disappointed to see that Jericho didn't take the old um, twerk to the face move that Sonny Kiss does. I quite like Sonny Kiss. Like, unironically, I quite like Sonny Kiss. Yeah. But um, yeah, bit of a weird one for Jericho. I, I was hoping Jericho would be moving on to something more my more my taste after the, the Orange Cassidy uh thing went on a little bit too long but you know the tag division i'm not sure that's what i was expecting but we'll let it play out we'll let it see um or we'll see where it'll go uh da, 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 da. Yeah, mjf 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 Tully blanchard and ftr were in the ring well moxley did a promo before then that i couldn't tell you a single thing he said mm. um there was a big tag team brouhaha which I don't remember anything about, so it wasn't that good. Ricky Starks did another good Derby Allen. Yeah, Ricky Starks. Promo. Ricky Starks is great. I actually watched um, AEW Dark for the first time uh, oh, really? last week because he, he had a match. He was in the main event with um, okay. Ben Carter, who's an uh-huh. upcoming um, you know, British uh, wrestler. And um, mm-hmm. we need a new kind of great white hope now that Will Ospreay has been cancelled. We are... Uh, you know, needs to, right you know, now that now that every other British wrestler is currently on the shelf, uh, I think Kip Sabian's currently the number one English wrestler worldwide. Um, so we need, okay. we need Ben Carter. <laughs> Come on, Ben, <laughs> save us! Um, but they had a great, they had a really good match, really good little match on um, AW Dark. And I like Stark so much. He's so he's so different. You know, he doesn't come out and do the dives and do Canadian destroyers and everything else. Like, he's very different. Mm. So yeah, I like him a lot. Yeah, I had the pleasure to see him um, at an OTT show w- way back in the day. This must be almost three years ago at this stage. Um, and he was absolutely the highlight of the show. So I'm not surprised to hear that he's mm. doing so well. Um, Nyla Rose defeated Tay Conti in her debut. Not much to it. Uh Good Omega promo, which I think kind of good Omega promo established him as a great singles wrestler, which I think is needed. Like that, I enjoyed the tag team to a degree, but for me, Omega could be out there having like fucking four matches every month with someone different. You know, if he was sort of unleashed, Um, it's nice that he seems to be getting a bit of an edge as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, like babyface or heel, Omega and AW so far has been a little too white bread, I think. Yeah, agreed. So it'll be nice to see where they go with that. And then the main event um, Luke Harper versus Gold Dust. Yes. WWE main event. I, I, it didn't really hold my attention, only so far as I knew that Brody Lee was going to win. So, yeah. I didn't, I didn't really care for it. It was fine. I mean, gee, he beat the piss out of him, all right, but. Yeah, I, just, I, thought, I don't know. I would have maybe had this open the show. Too, too balanced for me when you've got this monster Brody Lee going against the, you know, the older guy. Yeah, especially that he beat his brother yeah. handily. Yeah, that time, I remember. But, um, um, and then 
they 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 mentioned that Cody had um an announcement that was going to come up after the show, mm. but um my copy of the show, let's say, uh, ended at that point, so I, I didn't find out what it was until I looked up afterwards. I was hosting some game show. So oh. That's all it is. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this this um, this show did well, over over one million viewers for Dynamite. Yes, going unopposed with um, NXT. So well, yeah, impressive. Well done, to- Tone. Good job. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they're you know doing those numbers with Luke Harper versus Goldust as the main event yeah. speaks to you know the strength of the brand and what you can do if you if you treat wrestlers seriously. Yeah, I wonder. If they were to do a, not that they want to, you know, burn through all their their gimmicks so quickly, but if they were to do a, a stadium stampede style match on Dynamite, mm. I wonder how well they would potentially do. But, um, well done to them. Unfortunately, his Fulham didn't do quite so well as they were absolutely wrecked by Arsenal yeah. um, on the, the opening day. Uh, a pathetic performance by Fulham. <laughs> they were really bad. Uh, which was, you know, I saw a good tweet, which was uh, something along the lines of, if they were to cancel Jake Hager and Justin Roberts' contracts, they could maybe afford a good defender. Oh, what they want to do is yeah. sign loads and loads of players from another team. Every time that team gets rid of a player, just sign them to yeah. the yeah. players. Maybe sign Neymar, the new Puma guy. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. Uh, anyway, I think that's all the time we have this week. Yeah, TV time remaining. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I mean, we'll do a show next week, just showing myself. I want to hear more Super Mario Odyssey updates. Boop, boop, boop. Um, I need to add you on Switch, by the way. Put your little friend code in the in the oh, gimmick. Um, and otherwise, yeah. So, thanks for listening, everybody. We will catch you again next week. And we're not even going to do goodbyes. That's just the end of the show. <laughs>